Are you here? Are you here? Oh, please, please be here. Oh, I'd love it if you were only here listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Well, you are. I see you in the back row. Thank you. So what do we have for you today? It's an interview from our archives, The Wayback Machine. Recorded backstage in Athens, Georgia, this is an interview with Count Mbutu. was conducted around 2006 when the Count was playing with the Derrick Trucks Band. Born Harold L. Jones in 1945, sadly the Count passed away in 2021. Count Mbutu was known as a consummate percussionist played with the Aquarium Rescue Unit, John Popper of Blues Traveler, Colonel Bruce Hampton, and many other bands and musicians. He also made a solo album and composed. Please, if you would, subscribe to The Paul Leslie Hour on YouTube. We have lots of content just like this, and subscribing is free and easy. So, ladies and gentlemen, we will not keep you waiting. Here it is, our interview with the late Count Mbutu. I'm very proud to announce today's special guest. He is Count Mbutu. He is a world-renowned percussion player. He uh, has solo work. He's also been touring quite a bit with the Derek Truck Band. He's appeared with numerous bands, and it's our pleasure to welcome him here today. So I'd like to welcome Count Mbutu to the program. Hello, how you doing? Thank you so much for making the time to do this. I do appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure. I'd like to know a little bit about how you got into congas, how you got this love for percussion. Well, I started out well, really playing a little piano, a couple of other instruments, and uh, I met some fellows in the neighborhood that had congas, and we all went out and bought a drama piece, and so we were sitting around trying to learn to play them. And that was a school in Atlanta called Neighborhood Art Center. And uh, it was put together by, uh, she is the mayor of Atlanta now, but during that time she was working in Maynard Jackson's office. And she put together a school called the Neighborhood Art Center. And she brought in some African instructors. And she also had Spike Lee teaching they had a theater company called Just Us Theater there. And I also met Yonrico Scott, which is the Derek Truck drummer, during that period of time. That was 1975, I think, probably before you was born. Yes. <laughs> and the school was called Neighborhood Art Center. She brought in these African teachers and taught us how to make drums and also play the drum. And after two years of studying, African drumming, I got a social degree in African studies because they only didn't teach you how to make the drum and play the drum. They taught you about where the rhythm came from and what part of Africa the different rhythm originated from. And after I studied the drum for two years, that didn't really lend itself to playing with a band because it was a traditional style of drumming. You had to get three or four other drummers to play the rhythm with you. And I met some Latin brothers, actually Puerto Rican brothers out of New York, and they started showing me how to take those rhythms and play them on, play all of the parts on the four drums yourself. 
So they started teaching me what they call the Latin style, the Afro-Cuban style of drumming. And pretty much the rest is history. Once I learned that Afro-Cuban style, I started going out looking for work. And I started with one of my first name known acts was a group called the Manhattan. I did a little work with those fellas. And a lady named Nancy Wilson. And the fellas called Funkadelic. I did some stuff with those guys. Later on, I met a guy named Colonel Bruce Hampton, and that's what kind of got me into the jam band market. I didn't, I wasn't even familiar with this kind of music, really. I didn't even know who the Grateful Dead and all those guys were <laughs> until I met Colonel Bruce. And so I got a chance to play with some fellas that I know you all, all know, called Widespread Panic. Played with those guys I, for the last Probably six or seven years, I usually work the New Year's gig with them. I sit in, and I met those guys back in the early 90s, and we did a tour called the Horde Tour, and I got a chance to play with Blues Travelers, and I can go on and on. I met the guys from the Auburn Brothers, played with those guys. Actually, I worked in the Greg Allman band for a while. I was his percussionist for about, I think about six or seven years ago. I did the thing with Greg, and it kind of led me to the CD that uh, you got in your hand there. My wife, which is Graciela Lopez, she and a friend of mine named Harry Case, that's my brother in music, and he kept telling me to take those rhythms that I had studied in the African traditional drumming and make a song out of those rhythms. And so one of the first songs that I wrote was called Say a Prayer, and it came from a rhythm called Gumbao. Because in order for me to sing, it had to be like a chant. So if you notice on that song, it's like, Say a prayer for me, my hand. So it's kind of like the chant that I learned in traditional drumming. And so I think after I got that, I'm pretty good at hook. You know, I can come up with a hook in a moment. But for lyrics, not so well. So what I would do, I would get with Graciela, and I would hum out a melody to her. And she's great at writing lyrics, so she, she would take these sounds and write lyrics around the sound. Because all I could think of after Say a Prayer for me was da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. I would make these sounds, and she would take those sounds and write lyrics to sounds. So. After that, we would get with Harry Case, and he was, he was acoustic guitar player on this project. And also, he played electric guitar. But he would play the melody out, and we had a song. So we just went from one song to the next. And the one, Cabanita La Chica, it was kind of a joke, really. One Saturday night, I was teasing her. She was walking across the floor, and I was trying to speak Spanish. And I knew a little... I only learned the word that would get me in trouble. <laughs> so, so I was saying, que bonita la chica. She's so fine, que bonita la. And I was playing the rhythm with it. And so that's how that kind of came along. And then Harry got with me and he said, man, I got this groove that Miles Davis played that would fit that even better what you got. He played it for me, so we switched from the the kind of Afro-Latin thing that I was doing to that funk thing of Miles Davis. 
And I, for each song I wrote, I had certain musicians in mind. Because if you notice, I got about 28 different musicians on the project. Mm-hmm. And so for each one of the songs, because the songs say a prayer for me, I got two widespread panic guys on that project. I have Dave School on bass, Todd Nash on drum, and I have Chuck Lavelle from the Rolling Stones on keyboard. So I had met all of these guys during the early 90s working with a group called Aquarium Rescue Unit. So musicians tend to tell you that if you need me, call me. Some of them mean it, some of them don't. But I discovered all of those fellows that I call came out of one. I mean, the only one I couldn't reach during that period of time. I was trying to get in touch with John Popper. And his management, you know, never let him know that I was looking for him. And he was kind of upset because he wasn't a part of the project because most of his friends was on it. And he was like, man, I love the CD, but why you didn't get me for the?" <laughs> I was like, I call your office. So he, I give you my cell phone. I give you my home phone. <laughs> so you don't go through the office anymore. Call me. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay, the next one, you'll be there. And from that. I, well, actually, I had met this young man quite a few years ago. Well, actually, I met him when he was 12 years old. And Colonel Bruce brought him to a club called the Cotton Club. And uh, his name is Derek Trucks. And I could look. I mean, he turned around and looked at me, and he had this fire in his eyes. And I told Jeff Sight, which is part me Q258, the drummer with Quarian Rescue Unit. I said, man, something special about this kid. I only... I've seen that kind of fire from a couple of other people in their eyes. And Otia, the bass player, had that same kind of fire when he played. He'd look at you, and you don't want to look in his eyes because he looked like he would kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard Magic Johnson say that about Larry Bird when he played. They don't look at his eyes because it'll scare you away, you know, guys. And so you could see it in Derek. And so this was when he was 12, and I think at the age of 15, he took me out on the road with him, and he gave me the grain, which is the gift and guitar. And I was like, what does this mean? He said, well, I guess that means we are engaged in music. <laughs> <laughs> and so about a year ago, he told his wife, he said, did you know Colin and I was engaged? She's like, beg your pardon? He mm-hmm. said, well, we are engaged in music. She was, oh, okay, understand. Yeah. So that was the, kind of the beginning of my relationship with Derek and last year in May, he asked me to go out well, to do this CD that we had released on February the 21st called Songline. And I would love for you all to go out and buy it because it's a great CD, not because I'm on it, but it's because it's just a great CD. And you don't have to take my word, go buy it, and it'll prove that I'm not joking. So, uh, yeah, me, well, actually, I had I done one before with them. It was called Joyful North. I tell her, I hit the note magazine, had one of the fellows that asked me a question about the, um, the CD, and I was telling him, the reason this CD is so much better than, I said, if Joyful North was on a scale from 1 to 10, Joyful North was a 7, this is a 15, because <laughs> it's off the scale, without a doubt. And it's all because of the producer that we had that helped put it that high. Because we worked with a producer named Jay Joyce. And Jay 
this kind of producer, he could bring the best out of musicians, creative best out of musicians. A lot of producers get you in the studio and they start telling you about, I wanted to sound this way. I've been doing this 25 years and then musicians tend to turn professional on them. And once they do that, you know, you just play, you know, you become like almost like a robot musician and music don't have no feel to it. And I think that's what happened with the project that we did in Torquenoid. But what our management did with this CD, they made it comfortable as possible. But they sent us up to Nashville and they rented the condo and they put me and Rico in one condo by ourselves. Three bedroom condo we had to ourselves. Derek and Mike had a condo to themselves. Todd and Kofi had a condo. And so Rico and I really, I've been knowing Rico for over 30 years. I was telling you, I met him at the neighborhood art center, but I really didn't know him until this past year. We got a chance to bond. We would get up in the morning, go to the gym together, come back, and I make the stuff that I call my freaky fruit juice. I take spinach, carrot, parsley, and all that stuff, and put it in a juicer, and, and we drink it, you know, because I'm kind of a health nut. In order to make the close to six to one, you have to kind of keep yourself in good shape and healthy to stay with these young guys like Derek and I'm on the road, man, because they got energy unbelievable. And so uh, it gave us a chance to bond. And when we would get to the studio, Jay would get us to try things, you know, try this, try it. He didn't say do this, do this, you can try this way, try this. And then after we go through these different tracks, and then we would listen. They would play it down. He would play them down for us, and we would pick the best one. You know, like we would lay maybe before he would record it, we would go over it maybe three or four times, and then he would start tracking. And then he would track one, and then he would go to another, track again. And we only did one song a day. And what he would do, he would record it, mix it down, the vocals and everything on that song as you go. A lot of people would go through laying all of the track, you know, bring it in, bring the percussion in last, put the little stuff, you know. And he did everything live together with the vocals. Sometimes the scratch vocals, he kept the scratch vocals if it sounded right. And and he would mix down. We'd come in the next day and we would hear the mix and it was like, whoa, this thing sounds great. So we'd go to the next song. And we end up doing a great CD, without a doubt. That Songline CD, I can also testify, I've been listening to it nonstop. My favorite song on there, it's actually one of my favorite songs that they do, and I never know if I'm pronouncing it right, is Sahib Taribandi. You're right. Yeah, I love that song. <laughs> Derek, I'm missing a few T's here, so I can say C's and don't come out clear. <laughs> but. As far as other conga players go, we had Leon Mobley on the show, and we we're having Ralph McDonald come on, and I'm very excited about that. I'm a big Ralph McDonald fan. What kind of conga musicians do you do you think those are the those are the good ones? When you hear them, you think that's a legend in conga playing. Yeah, well, Ralph, without a doubt, you know, <laughs> Ralph, when I first got into the business and started playing, I was probably probably older as Ralph older <laughs> but I started a little late I didn't start until I was in my 30s when I started so I was a land surveyor the early days of my life but Ralph was a guy that I really studied listened to 
his music because talk about all of my LP during that time with the vinyl LP with rap with the percussion on most of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, I studied Ralph all the time. I listened to most of his. And Mongo Santa Maria, some of those guys, because uh, I had got into the live music, uh, Mongo. And I actually, I took lessons from Armando Parada, which was Santana's percussion during that time. I took a few lessons from him. But Ralph, I'll tell you the story. I did a recording with the group, I think it was Omar King produced. The project, and when I heard the CD on radio, I thought it was Ralph, and I ran in the house and I taped it because I thought it was a new CD with Ralph. And so when they sent me the CD, finally, it was me. I was like, <laughs> oh, I was embarrassed. I studied him so much, I sounded like Ralph McDonald to myself when I heard the CD. And so from that time, I started trying to. I, I really walked away from listening to a lot of Kuma players after that. I listened to bass players, sax players, because I started, I changed my style a bit after that. I started playing, I sit up with full Kunga and I play melodically. And I started listening to guys like Giovanni Hidalgo and, and different other Cuban, Puerto Rican percussionists that impressed me a lot is Mark Quinones. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't know how great a percussion this young man is. They only see him with the Auburn Brothers playing timbales and little kumbas and stuff. But I had a chance to, uh, a few weeks, I think about three, three or four weeks of rehearsal. We had a group called Frogwing. And, yeah. uh, but Truck put the group together. And Mark and I had a chance to just woodshed and practice together and became good friends. Man, he just blew me away. I mean, he was doing things. I have to go back to the scale. On a scale of 1 to 10, I was a 5, Mark was a 15. <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't believe, you know, because I had been sitting in with him with the Auburn Brothers, and he just played a little bit, and I didn't realize he was that great of a kumo player, Kimbali player, I mean, just all-around percussionist. And without a doubt, he one of the best out there now. That's without a doubt. And there's a few other guys, Richie Garcia, I mean, Richie, uh, yeah, I think it's Richie. Oh, man, I kind of, kind of think of Richie's last name. But Richie, all of those guys, I just recently became in Dorsey with Pearl. And uh, most of those guys are on that label. I mean, it's not label with the company Pearl. Rico and I just recently signed with Pearl through the help of Mark Kenyonis again. You know, he's the one talked with representatives at Pearl. Got him the interviewers, and they brought us on in because we had a little misfortune a few weeks ago. Some thief came by and stole our trailer with all our equipment. Yeah, they got the whole thing. I mean, they got B3, two Leslie cabinets, all Derek's vintage amps that he had. Hard, our bass player, got his amps. Got Kofi, while well, I mentioned B3, and then his keyboard set up. Got all Rico's drums, all my percussion and stuff like that. And they just drove off with the trail. And we had been parking this trail in the same spot for the last uh, almost five years and had never had any problem. We had just got back from a tour up the West Coast. Oh, what's up? Yeah, that was Young Rico cut, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 
we had just got back from actually we had did a, a first of the year we did a east coast new york through dc and all around the east coast we did about a month and then we went out west and we did all the west all the way up to oregon back through california and then we flew to uh dc and did npr npr and we did the satellite radio and then we did conan o'brien show and then we did this thing i think called must see tv whatever i think that's what it's called and we drove back and about three four days after that our stage manager called me and said man i got some bad news i'm like well, what's up and he said that um someone had stole our trailer <laughs> i'm like oh man I couldn't believe that because I had one drum. That is going to be almost impossible to replace because I kind of made it, put it together into my set. And and everybody, everybody lost some things that put it personal to him and that they've been had. Rico did. I, I mean, I know Derek. Cause, uh, one of his amps, they asked him why he keep that old amp around. He says it's almost like a security blanket, you know, and. And I could tell from the show last night, everyone was playing this new equipment. And it took uh, a while kind of for everybody to kind of get back into the groove and feel comfortable with their instruments and stuff because you're playing this new gear. And it feels almost like you're traveling and you got rented equipment and stuff when they bring in all of this stuff, you know, for you to play. But... After the first set, we ended up doing two shows last night. And I would like to say also, all our prayers go out to Otia Burbick. He was in a motorcycle accident, I think, the Thursday night, Thursday evening. Um, and I don't think it, from what I heard, his hands and everything was okay, but he hurt other parts of his body pretty bad. So he's going to kind of be out of, out of action for a while. But uh, he was supposed to open up for us last night in Savannah. We did a show on the festival in Savannah, and he wasn't able to do that because of that. But, yeah, we have a thing coming up called the Wani Music Festival, which he's supposed to be a part of that. His band and the Alden Brothers performance that he's supposed to be a part of. I wanted to know if uh, you could tell us something about someone in this band, anyone in this band like Derek, maybe or Yonrico got something that we might be surprised to know about. Well, a friend of mine, Harry Case, was asking me about, he was, they, uh, they I guess the way Derek performed on the stage a lot of time, he, they think he's shy, you know, they, but there's not a shy bone in his body, I don't think, you know, that, I don't know whether you perceive that from him, but if you stick a mic in his face, you can't stop him from talking, and, but I don't know, is the thing about him in his performance, he would come out and he'd get in this position and he don't move a lot, you know, because I tease him a lot and saying, you need to take your hair loose and put a fan next to it and let it blow, <laughs> shake that hair loose, and then you're going to have the latest bras and all of the other stuff coming at you on the stage. <laughs> so it's funny to him. I think that's something most people think he's very shy because he tend to walk out. But I think this is something he's been doing most of his life, and it's, it's, for Derek, it's all about music. It's nothing. I mean, the height, I, you know, he cared less about any of that stuff because I know for a fact his career probably could have 
years ago been gone up to where it's going, look like this year. But he cared less about that. It's music with him, you know. It's all about music because he have had all kind of opportunities to play with these different rock bands and stuff. And he, he turns it down because there's a, oh man, I'm trying to think of his name. I don't know, I still don't know a lot of these rock people. He came out, we was in California, and he followed Derek's around, and he'd been just really, you know, he loved Derek's music and, and quite a few other people's. I, you know, I don't know whether you heard that he's supposed to be going out with Eric Clapton. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, later this year. But, you know, he, he kind of admired a person like Eric. He liked his music and stuff. But he not doing it to enhance his career. He doing it because it's something you, I guess he feel that it could help him, you know, working, playing with someone like that to learn a little more. Because I just look at him, he still like a sponge. He just a soft stuff, you know, as he go. And I've been knowing him for all these years and I just watch him grow, you know, like how he just came from this little kid. But he's still a kid to me. <laughs> but he just, I mean, I mean, his, when he play on the stage, it's almost like he's speaking to you. Mm -hmm. When he play, you know, I mean, he didn't got to the level where he's just really speaking to you when he talk. And we tease a lot. We tease him about, I was listening to performance he did with the Auburn Brothers, and he and Juan Hayne was playing the solo. And I could tell when Derek speak because I could like understand everything he was saying. And, and when Juan was speaking, we was, was called him the auctioneer because he was playing real fast stuff. And it was like, and Derek was just putting it out there like you, you could understand every word he was saying. It's like, he talking to me, he talking to us, man. <laughs> he telling us about how it feel. But, you know, I listen to a lot of cats, you know, guitar players that play. And I think that's what started me to not listen to so many other Kungu players because that's the thing. Derek don't listen to guitar players. He listens to other type musicians. Yeah. And it tends to, you grow a little better. You don't tend to, because if you find someone you like, like I was saying about Ralph McDonald, you end up listen to too much of it and you end up becoming that person almost instead mm -hmm. and so I start trying to do it myself because I learn a lot from these young men every day you know how to because I tell them I tease them a lot of time I was like when I grow up I want to be just like you <laughs> I want to be just like you I think they are taking guitars out now it's getting close to sound check time so. this program does go out all over the world so what would you, Count Dumbutu, like to say to the world? I would like to say, I think where you look now, I'm a prominent member with the Derek Trucks band. I hope that it continues because I've been working with him continuously. <laughs> so uh, if you see the record, the song line, go out and buy it. If you see any advertisement that the Derek Trucks band is coming to your city, buy your ticket, come out and see us. And I think that's one of the things. And I, I think we're going to have a great year. Well, thank you so much for taking this time. I do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.